Hi and welcome to the Girl Next Door podcast. I'm your host Renee Bennett and this is a leadership podcast for ordinary girls compelled to lead an extraordinary life. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. Well, okay. Hi there, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Girl Next Door podcast. Uh, look, can I just be, I'm Renee, by the way, can I just be really honest for two seconds? Today has been the most frustrating day ever trying to record this podcast with literally like a family that's stomping and cranking and pushing cutlery around and turning taps on. It's literally like days like today. It's like, girls, I'm just letting you into my life, being really real, sometimes being a mother and trying to do the things you feel called to do. It can be really hard to juggle and it can be frustrating like right now. And it's about my third or fourth attempt to start recording today because I've had to shout out the door and tell everyone to shoosh. So that is exactly why today I want to change tact just a little bit. If this is your first time, welcome. I'm really glad that you're here. You've actually come in the middle of a collection that I'm doing called Girl Power Collection. And we've been looking at the whole issue of feminism. We've looked at first and second wave and what that's done for us as women and society. And if that's been a good thing, in what ways it's been harmful. So make sure you go back and listen to those two. I was today going to talk about, we touched on gender equality last week and by the Bible Uh, values on this and God's design for us. Um, And I was going to go down the line of um, is gender equality, even if we could reach it, is it beneficial? But I just really feel not to go down that line today. So, hey, you know that I'm really prayerful and I think long and hard about these podcasts and I research and you know, I always ask God, just, you know, guide me in what I'm saying. So I wanted to really go down another line today and talk about Um, women in ministry, women in the church. And so I can't wait to take you on this journey today. I want to open up my personal world a little bit to you girls and really dive into two different areas. One being, how can we be women in ministry, women with a leadership position of some sort and juggle a family. That's the first thing that I want to look at. And, you know, even if you're not in ministry, but you perhaps, um, you know, have a job of some sort, then this is still really appropriate for you. And then I wanted to look at what about actually women in the church and, you know, is there gender equality, inequality? And I wanted to have a, a little dive into raising more women in the church. So, that's where I'm going today. Um, so I want to start with this thought that, first of all, um, well, I want to actually encourage you to start with with a list of amazing women in the Bible. And I know I've got a lot of people here who are listening, and you might not particularly be in ministry, but this is why I wanted to encourage all of you. There are so many women in the Bible who were total girl bosses. They were the girl next doors who became the history makers. And you don't have to be in ministry. You could be in business. You could be a stay-at-home mom, whatever it is. And I just wanted to encourage you with this list. So have a listen to this. We've got, first of all, Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, the mother of the Savior of the world. Like, if there's no greater value put on mothers than the life of Mary, then I don't know what is. Then we've got Deborah. 
You will find her in the Old Testament. Perhaps you've not never even picked up a Bible before. If you haven't, go grab a Bible, find the book of Judges, look in verse uh, chapters four and five, and you'll read about this total girl boss who was a judge and a prophet. Go read about her. Then we've got Miriam, who was Moses' sister, who picked up an instrument and became a worship leader, leading her people through the Red Sea. She was a woman who became a worship leader who led a nation into victory. What an incredible woman. And even more than that, it says, if you look in Micah chapter six, that she, along with her brothers, was the leader of a nation, girl boss. Then we had Esther, who was a queen and saved the Jewish people. We have Mary in Luke chapter 10, verse 39, who was a student of the Lord. Um, She sat at the feet of the teacher of Jesus, of the rabbi, which was, um, sorry, she sat at the feet of rabbis who this position was reserved for men. She was a student of the Lord. Like this would be like all you women out there who were maybe studying theology. Um, We had Mary Magdalene, who was the first to tell the gospel of the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus, the first apostle. We read about her in John chapter 20, verse 14. Then we have Lydia, who was a businesswoman and a merchant. Read about her in Acts chapter 16. Phoebe, who you can read about in Romans 16, who was not only a deacon, but they think that she took Paul's letters, Paul's letter to the to Rome to read it and answer their questions. Like what a responsibility. Then we have women like Priscilla, who was a business owner and a teacher. Read about her in Acts chapter 18. And in fact, she's named before her husband, which could mean that she was actually the lead teacher of the two. And let me encourage you finally with Joel chapter 2 that says that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So girls, we have the full right, the full privilege to declare his word, to testify and to prophesy. Okay. But what I want to do first is talk to you about how can you be a woman who leads in an area in life, perhaps in my experience, obviously, is ministry, although I'm a teacher as well, and how can we do that well? And a few episodes back, I did one on adulting like a boss, and I talked about the one question that literally determines whether or not you become you know, an adult, and someone can still be... 45 and not be an adult. And the question is, and we need to use it again on this, is what is the cost and what is the price? Everything that we choose to do in life, there is a cost and a price. And we would be very wise girls if we always asked ourselves that. And you know, just because we're talking about, say, ministry, for example, that gives us this automatic pass that that we don't have to ask this question because we're doing the work of the Lord and everything's going to work out. It doesn't work that way. Just because we might be, you know, doing the work of God, which by the way, you could be doing the work of God by running your own business, by being a stay-at-home mom, like whatever you choose to do is doing God's work. But specifically in the context of ministry, we have to ask, you know, what is the cost to us, to our marriage, to our children, to our family? And You know, before we are quick to judge if there are enough enough women in the pulpit, please remember, again, you've even got to filter this decision by that same question. And maybe 
perhaps there aren't as many women in the pulpit because they are asking themselves this question and they're choosing perhaps for that season in their life not to be working in ministry but to be with their family. That's just a thought. But let me give you... A few examples of what I've seen, and I just wanted to open up my life a little bit for you to perhaps help you to navigate your own maybe, or to at least to make you think, because just because I do something a certain way doesn't mean that you have to do it the same way. Um, But let me give you a few examples. I remember being in a woman's conference quite a while ago where the female preacher said that her daughter was struggling with her being so busy in ministry. Now, she was a well-known preacher, and she was using this point as, as a preaching point. And she told us that her then, I don't know, eight or nine-year-old said, uh, she said to her, look, if I'm called as the mum, then you're also called, so buckle up because this is our life. And I remember hearing that, and I think maybe Georgia was really little at the time, but it just didn't sit well with me because even though I do not think that the world should revolve around our children, like and hey, I need to do parenting podcasts because I absolutely don't think that children should be put on this, you know, pedestal and the world revolves around, everything revolves around them. But neither would I sacrifice my kids on the even noble altar of ministry. So I've watched a lot over the years and I've asked myself time and time again, what is the cost to my being in ministry? And if that were me, I wouldn't have just said to my daughter, if I'm called, you're called, suck it up, sweetie, and off we go. I would have been you know, really prayerful about that. And, um, that would have really concerned me. And, um, my gut was right on that one. That girl ended up experiencing immense mental health issues later in life. Another example is I was preaching at a women's conference uh, with another really amazing female preacher. And I was a full-time stay at home mom And by the way, can I just say that I was on a pastor's, we were on a pastor's wage, a single pastor's wage, and Cameron's wage was not a good wage. Like it was pretty low. And I remember there being times where we would struggle to even find money to pay for milk and bread. Like I remember searching through the console in the car to find a few extra dollars but we chose to live that way. And I hope that this kind of explains to you today why. Um, So anyway, I was a full-time stay-at-home mum, but all of my kind of uh, ministry was volunteer and I did preach quite a bit in different places still. But I wrote my sermons mostly in the shower and then jotted down notes later when the kids were in bed. Um, My youngest at the time, Ashton, was still in a pram. So I brought him with me to the conference and I just got a friend to look after him on the front row while I preached. But the rest of the time I had him with me and I looked after him myself. By the way, this says something about the way that you have to discipline your kids. I could sit him on the front row with a friend because I disciplined him to be able to do that. So on the other hand, I remember this female preacher coming along and I was sitting down having coffee and along she comes with her two kids and her nanny. And I remember she sat down and she just kept going on and on about her busy schedule and how, you know, she put her kids in childcare to write her sermons. And on top of that, she had a nanny who came and helped her every morning and every afternoon with the kids. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No. Is that right or wrong? Well, you've got to decide that for yourself, but you've just got to always weigh your 
decisions with your eyes wide open by saying, what is the cost to my family, to my kids, and weigh that up with what you feel God has asked of you. So I would always say, think forward. So I chose not to put my kids in childcare to write sermons or to have a nanny. I wanted to be the one to raise my kids myself. And I figured that my kids were a gift from God and they were my first responsibility and I was their mom and I was called to raise them, not someone else. And that ministry would fit around that. So I, um, I just want to let you in a little bit more on the way that I've navigated life in ministry, because I want to show you that you can be in ministry and still make family a priority that it doesn't actually have to be one or the other, but you do have to choose when you prioritize what. Like I look at my life and think, I am so blessed. I've been a teacher, a writer, I'm a pastor, I've got three kids, and I have done a lot, but I've very rarely done them all at the same time. Or if I did, I prioritized very carefully and it was always my family first. So I've chosen to never be on the staff of a church. Um, and a lot of people are shocked to hear this. I have never been paid for ministry. Uh, there was only one other time when I was pregnant with Liam after I had Georgia. I went on staff a couple of days a week for just a couple of months to help run the kids' ministry. Other than that, the only time I've been paid for ministry was four years ago when Cameron and I started the Youth Alive Academy. And, but I've built that from, you know, five students till we've had about 400 through it now. So I've, I've built that to a point where I could take a wage from that. But other than that, I have volunteered for over 20 years. So I chose though, to sacrifice a wage. I was asked several times to be on staff, but Cameron and I talked about it and I declined every time because I wanted to call the shots. I didn't want to be in a thousand staff meetings and then church meetings um, and then have to struggle with, okay, well, you know, how do I take time off for the kids? And Cameron was already busy enough. So we decided that I would be the one that would primarily be home. Um, but let me just say during that time, I was actually preaching on main stage in our in our big campus in Adelaide, which was a church of about 6,000, as well as other campuses as well. That's kind of a fun story to tell you how I got there, but um, I don't think I'll do that today. But I remember, I kid you not, girls, I was fully pregnant with Liam, right? As in, I was booked in for a cesarean on the Monday morning at eight o'clock. And on the Sunday, the day before it was Mother's Day, I preached a full sermon in front of a couple of thousand people. <laughs> that was just kind of what I did. Um, I remember with Ashton, I was on a camp. We were running our youth camp and I had been leading worship. And then when I went back to our room that night, I remember saying to Cameron, I am in so much pain. This is ridiculous. Ashton wasn't due for another two weeks. Um, and I actually went into labor that night at, ca at camp. That's a story. Um, but I got to do both, but I didn't take a wage so that I could do it on my terms and I made it fit around my family. And I think part of the reason is because I've seen so many, um, kids over the years 
that have um, not coped with their parents being in full-time ministry. And so I was really, Cameron and I were really careful about that. And so, you know, some people might say, might think that I've disempowered myself or disadvantaged myself because I could have been further along by now, but I, I don't see it that way. I've got three kids who love me and I love them. I've got, you know, a husband who loves me. I love him. And that means everything to me because I grew up without that. And ministry is amazing, but my family means more. God is first, then my family, then ministry. So, you know, one of my survey questions to you reflects that you feel the same. I asked if you would rather have a successful marriage or a successful career. Now, given not everyone will marry, um, in which case you certainly would say career. But if you were married and had a career and had to choose, 95% of you said marriage. And interestingly, from everything I've read, girls actually have a natural desire to want a family, um, to want to look after a family, but there's no value put on that by society. And I think we have to be careful not to allow that to creep into the church. The value is put on a career, even sometimes in church world. And how do I know that? Because when we're asked what we want to do or what we want to be when we graduate school, who of us says, oh, I want to be a wife and a mother? No, we don't say that. We always say some sort of career because even though it's, you know, part of our God design and desire to to nurture and to look after, um, we don't feel it's important enough to say that. Okay, so I I hope that's kind of helped you. That's just like a little... Um, snippet, I guess, of, of my life in ministry. And I just consider myself so incredibly blessed, but um, I've always put my family first and everything else has worked around it. And honestly, I could tell you some of the funniest stories about how that's played out. Like I remember one time I was meant to be preaching at this women's conference and Georgia was uh, probably five, Lamb was three and Ashton was a newborn. And my mother-in-law was meant to come with me. Shout out to my mother-in-law. She was meant to come with me um, to help me because uh, I think I had Ashton with me. I was going to have Ashton with me. No, she was coming to look after the kids so that I could go to this conference and she forgot at the last minute. And I remember I had to quickly get the kids ready to put them in the car because then she was going to meet me there instead. And Liam was not cooperating. And seriously, I remember he wouldn't get changed out of his pajamas and I lost the plot. And I think I was <laughs> grabbed his pajamas and I'm like slapping him on the arm with him going, get these pajamas on right now. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm about to go and preach at a women's conference. And here I am shouting at my kid, telling him to hurry up and get out of his pajamas. But anyway, stories like that. Um, But let's change direction to the second thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, I asked you if you saw gender inequality in the church. And this is kind of a bit fun because some of the things that you said were quite funny. But where I really want to land it is about um, women preaching um, on a Sunday on the pulpit, women in the pulpit, basically. That's where I want to land it. But let's go with a couple of the fun ones first. So here's some of the things that you said where you see gender inequality in the church. Someone said that the majority of the pack-up team is men because they can lift heavier things. I really laughed when I saw that one. Um, Okay, bit of victim mentality here, girls. Now, can some women lift more than some men? Yes. So feel free, if that's you, to join the pack-up team. I don't think anyone's going to actually say no to you if you ask to join the pack-up team. I think it's just mostly men because men can lift heavier things. Men have actually got 
better up on the whole, on the whole. I know someone's going to write to me and go, not all of them. And that's true. Not all of them, but on the whole, most men have got better upper and lower body strength. Um, but you know, feel free to join the pack up team because there's clearly a lot of stuff that girls can still do. All right. Second one, someone said the sound crew was majority men. So this is, you know, total inequality that the sound crew is majority men. Okay. What is stopping a girl from learning to do the sound? Nothing. I know a few girls, by the way, who do do sound. We've got we we've got one that um, loves doing the sound at Youth Alive conference. But again, could this be a case of more men are interested in sound than girls? Remember we talked about that last week. Remember we're created differently. I don't know any girl who would be knocked back if she asked to join. But if you were, I'd either go speak to the pastor or change churches because then maybe they have got an issue with women in any kind of role. <laughs> okay, the third one, which was funny. Um, Someone said that it always seems that the guy, the guy leads and the woman's the sidekick. Well, it's presented like that anyway. And I can actually see how you would think that. Um, but I would say that's your experience. It actually hasn't been my experience at all um, or anywhere that I've gone, um, but it probably does happen in some churches. Uh, but I don't think that that's across the board. I am certainly not Cameron's sidekick. If anyone thought I was, I would definitely remind them. I would remind Cameron, I am not a sidekick. (laughs) Um, So I thought that was funny. But this is where I wanted to land it is uh, overwhelmingly the comment that was made on this part of the survey was that there seems to be a huge inequality with the number of women preaching on a Sunday and at conferences. So I wanted to park here for a while. And um, I also wanted to say that this is something I'm super proud of at Public Church, actually, is that we seem to be, it just seems to be an anointing on us to be an absolute girl leadership making machine. We've actually had prophecies about it too. So that's pretty amazing. Um, So this is something I'm really passionate about. Uh, But I actually agree with you. I agree with you, although it's not my personal experience in the churches that I've been in, um, and it's certainly not how we run public or Youth Alive, but I can actually see how even Youth Alive has been affected by this fact that it's often harder to find um, women who who we can get to preach on the stage than men. Um, So this is a really interesting um, thought today that I wanted us to explore. So let's first look at the fact that there are not many female voices as guests at a conference. That's something that quite a few of you said. And as someone who runs a large conference, I just wanted to give you a few thoughts on perhaps why this is. Um, The first thing I would say is a conference platform isn't a place to just give someone a go. Um, okay, so it's not like, oh, oh, quick, we need a 50-50 ratio of women on the stage. So let's just grab any woman and let them have a go. Conference is not a space to do that. Um, you need someone with experience who's used to speaking to large crowds because it's different. It's, it's very different than, um, you know, sharing in a, in a small group. Um, so I would say, that the issue actually lies with the local church. If the local church isn't raising up absolute gun girls, then who do we have to choose from? I can't just pick anyone to have a 50-50 ratio. We've got to pick the best person for the job. And there probably, I would say, absolutely needs to be more girls being raised up at local church level and given opportunity. So I'm really with you girls on this issue. 
Um, but I'm also not going to choose someone just to make sure we tick the, we have a girl preacher at conference box who isn't up for the task. Cause then that's going to do us more harm than good as, as women. Um, but every year I'm on the lookout and the hunt for good women preachers of substance, ones who actually have fruit, who can hold their own, who are a great example to all the girls listening and who have actually built something. So girls, it's twofold. It's, it's local church giving you opportunity and raising you up, but it's also you uh, rising to the occasion and building something incredible. Because when you build something incredible, people can't ignore you. And I agree that, you know, these girls are hard to find. So we've had some incredible girls uh, at Youth Alive over the years. We've had Taylor Madu, we've had Jenny Lusco, we've had Victoria Beatty from the Beach People here in Australia, we've had Jules Sebastian, um, Cameron and I were her and Guy's pastors back in the day. So we've had some incredible females. And of course, I preach every year. Um, sometimes I do wonder also, is maybe part of the reason because what I've been talking about before that, I don't know, maybe, maybe there are a lot of women who, particularly in their younger, young adult years, when they would be coming through, you know, the, the youth and young adult ministry, that they're actually having a family and they're more focused on that and therefore not as involved for a number of years. And that's where I guess I really want to be an example to you girls. Sometimes I wish I could rewind 20 years and just show you how I did it because you actually can do both without sacrificing your family. Like I said, I did it, but I disciplined my kids well enough that I could bring them with me. Um, you know, they could sit really still while I got up and preached, etc. Uh, so I really think that solving this issue lies at local church level. I've been so blessed to have been in churches where for me, it was actually the norm. I've been raised by some of the best female preachers in the country. So as you know, Sam Evans discipled me, Planet Shakers. I can preach because of her and Russell and the opportunities that they gave me. Um, but let me tell you two things that I think that need to that needs to change in order for more girls to come through. Two things. One, is like I've just said, that local churches need to be more intentional with raising incredible girls on the platform. And I want to go more into that. And um, and secondly, that older women preachers uh, need to disciple younger girls into these spaces. So let's look at that for a minute. Older women preachers need to disciple younger girls into these spaces. I am for want of a better word, hell-bent on changing this. This is where Sam and Russell were absolutely brilliant. They knew that I learned from watching and I sat under Sam for years and I watched her and then they kept giving me a go. And then not only did they give me opportunities for the stage, but when our senior pastor needed a new youth pastor, it was Sam and Russell who said to give that opportunity to Cameron and me. So they were kind of like became our advocates. They sang my praises wherever they went. They used to tell people I was an even better preacher than Cameron. Sorry, babe. Um, when Cameron went on staff, although I wasn't paid, I was in the role with him. I cut my teeth preaching in youth. And then with Russell constantly singing my praises and then Ashley, our senior pastor, seeing our fruit, which more did I say? Build something so people can't ignore you. They saw our fruit in the youth group and how much the youth group grew. And then one, one day they asked me to do an offering for our women's outreach, which we used to do this huge fashion parade. It was amazing. Like about 2000 women would come and it was so cool. Um, and I used to be in charge of all the models out the back. That was my role. But one day he's like, okay, can you please do this offering? Anyway, I did this offering. He heard me 
And it was apparently the largest offering that they'd ever had uh, at one of these events. And plus he was like, that girl can preach, which is funny, by the way, I hate taking up offerings to this day. Um, So then they started giving me the stage for 10 minute slots on main church stage with a few other girls. And then before I knew it, I was doing full sermons. So I wasn't given the opportunity right off the bat. I earned my way there. I proved my way there. I built fruit. I, and I was, I obviously was gifted at speaking. You can't want to do something if you're not gifted at it. You can obviously improve, but you've still got to have the gift. So my observation is that sometimes women are so glad that they've gotten into the room or up on a stage that they become so focused on their opportunities that they don't take any girls with them. So there's quite a few women preachers I can think of, and I could not tell you which girls that they've raised up as a gun preacher underneath their discipleship. I, everyone knows their name, but but I would could not tell you another female that they've raised up. But take heart because I do know some incredible women who are raising up other incredible girls. Shout out to friends of mine like Ali Bonholm in uh, Horizon Church in Sydney, who I know has a number of incredible girls who I could name, and they're incredible preachers. And I've got my eye on you, girls. I see you. I hear you. Um, and they're coming through. Shout out to my good friend Franca in Melbourne, um, running Faith Church with. They've got some of the their one of their best campus pastors, by the way, is a female and a good friend of mine. Um, in public, we literally have more females who are incredible on the stage than males. Now I'm talking um, MC offering youth preaching on a Sunday. Again, we get people to cut their teeth in youth. We might give them an MC spot. By the way, I think MCing is harder than preaching. I hate emceeing. I have to do it all the time, but you know, got to grow. Um, so we've literally got girls coming out of our ears. And I think it's partly because it happens naturally because they see me a lot on the stage, but also because we're really intentional. I look for great girls and it's actually almost become a bit of a joke that the boys better lift their game because the girls are like overtaking the boys. So my takeaway is that current great women need to become more intentional and literally need to multiply themselves. And I'm working on ways how to help in this space. But let's just finish off with this last one of local churches needing to become more intentional. My observation is that Sometimes it's harder when the senior pastor's wife might have giftings in other areas. So she might have a gifting more in admin or in serving or in pastoral care or perhaps music. And we tend to multiply who we are. So because there's not a strong female on the stage, there's no one for other girls to aspire to be like. So in that case, I would say the senior pastor needs to be aware of this. And the solution is to intentionally find another female to fill the platform space. Because the last thing that we want to do is push the wife of the senior pastor into a role or onto the stage that is not where she wants to be or is not where her gifting lies. Because just like you've got the right to be free to be yourself, she's got the right to be free to be herself. And we just need to be intentional to fill that space with someone else. And let me say time and time again, girls, that you've got to trust God with your gifting and your call. You cannot force doors open. It's really unattractive to do that. But if you are in a church where there are no women being developed or not many, then you need to pray about that because God is bigger than any human. 
I say man, but human. God's bigger than any person. And you've got to remember the steps of a good man and a good woman are ordered by the Lord. I've never pushed open a door in my life. And let me encourage you by reminding you, I grew up in a uniting church where there were literally no women on the stage in ministry. They either taught the children or ran a Bible study, or prepared the afternoon tea for after church. Literally, that was my childhood. Um, But you know what? God saw little Renee Bennett from an ordinary suburb in Adelaide, and he put his call in my heart. And here I was at the age of 13 with a call to preach, which I didn't fully know at the time, sitting in a church where there were no women preachers. Um, not, Not even that they weren't allowed. It just wasn't the thing, the done thing. And my mom had no clue that I was called to preach. She didn't even have an inkling I was called to ministry. I don't even think she thought ministry was a job. So how did I end up a preacher who's preached all over Australia in other countries, running National Youth Alive in a Bible college? Only God. And I say for you, only God. He had my footsteps all along and he's got yours too. Now you might have to cooperate with him and be obedient and sacrifice and be patient. Um, But I was only 13 and my mum had no clue, but he literally guided her footsteps. She got remarried. She found herself with four teenagers and she decided that they needed a church with a youth ministry. So we moved from the Uniting Church to the ACC and the rest is history. And I would say finally as well that being in ministry is not like any other job where you can just look up job job seeker and apply for it. It doesn't work that way. There's got to be that element where the gift of God and the call of God is on your life for it. And then you have to trust him to open the doors. And while you're waiting, girls, what do you do? You become the best version of yourself. You build whatever's in front of you at the time. And you skill yourself up as much as you can. I didn't sit there waiting for an opportunity. I just got busy doing what was in front of me at the time. And that might include things like going to uni, going and studying, being a stay-at-home mum. Don't despise any season that you're in. Don't despise the season that you're in now because God's got this and he has got an incredible future for you. So there we go. You know how much I love you all. I am so grateful that you would spend some time with me each week. And um, that was part three of our Girl Power Collection. And we do want to get back onto the third and fourth wave of feminism and gender equality. And I also really want to talk about can women or should women be senior pastors? Ooh, that one will be a hairy one. Um, Anyway, I love you all and I can't wait to be back with you next week. Have a really good one. Bye. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast.